we used to have a drill or like a fire alarm every month. And it was always someone who smoked in the bathroom and they get caught and they'll show up in the principal's office. And the thing is you try to change the law, but they also need to be educated. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, brought to you by Elevate Youth California and funded through Proposition 64. Get ready for real talk on effective solutions for mental health and sustainable wellness for boys and men of color. Listen up, brothers. Mustafa, talk about, you know, either the video or some of what Lisa had to say as it relates to substance abuse and youth. What's your experience being here? You're, you know, you're a youth participant and you kind of came through high school more recently than, than anybody else on this panel. So can you talk about the, 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 the I don't want to say negative influence. I don't see it as negative anymore after Lisa explained it to me. It's just a, it's just an input and, and you need to feel a part of a, a network and a community and you want to be you know, encouraged, but the rest of the brain isn't quite wired to make what might be a better decision. Talk about that a little bit, Mustafa, from your point of view. Well, I mean, I'm going to step back for a moment and get it from your point of view. As a parent, you want to protect your children, um, except your children wants to do what they want to do. Right. Basically, what, what thought of is to be cool or interesting from their peers. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, uh, in my in my perspective here is show me your friends and I show you your future basically is if you hang out with a bad group you will end up like them and the thing is you want to be like others who may seem interesting or cool but that won't last for long that won't last forever um, eventually they'll become adults and that won't be very cool or interesting even if they become adults and they could just drag you down with them and you could affect yourself. So try to learn how, who, who you hang around with, who you're surrounded by. Um, do you trust them? Are they, are they helping you or are they hurting you? Um, are they holding you back? Uh, so those things are what I did is I made sure I surround myself with people who could help me not drag me back or hold me back. Um, one other thing is that I, I learned how to say no. I mean, something that would, may work out for someone else may not work out for me or affect me greatly. Mm-hmm. So learning to think for myself and knowing to say no, even if it's something that may seem interesting or tempting at that time. There's a there's a book behind me somewhere. If I tried to dig it out, I'd never <laughs> succeed. But I have a book behind me somewhere that I read when I was in high school. My mom had read it. And the title is Don't Say Yes When You Want to Say No. And I could almost tell you the page number where the author said, you know, anytime someone asks you a question, do you want to have a drink? Their voice in English anyway, our voice naturally kind of lilts up. Do you want to have a drink with me? Right. And this author said, the minute you hear that, that gives you the license to say yes or no. You don't have to feel guilty about saying no. They've invited you to say yes or no. And that paragraph, I'm not kidding you guys. I read it probably 20 times because I had this, this need to please. And I now I understand from Lisa, I, I didn't have to beat myself up. I was wired that way, right? I was a normal teen and I wanted to be a part of that community and wanted that that positive affirmation. And uh, I, I just started to, to figure out that it was okay to say no. And, and if something tells you, it's even okay to say, not right now. Let me think about that a little bit. I don't want to take a shot of something. I don't want to have a shot of Jack Daniels right now. I want to think about that. I want to talk to a mentor, maybe. Jonathan, let's pull you in. 
Do you have kids that are youth? I, I hate that I use that word kids. Do you, do you deal with youth that, that are struggling with this? And, and if so, have they come to you? And what have those conversations been like? Um, I haven't had nobody per se come to me about about uh, abuse or anything like that. But going from previous experiences and things to me when I was coming up, it was totally different, you know, as a, as of what it is now. Because even as like tobacco abuse, alcohol abuse, back when we was younger, it was it was prevalent. Everybody was doing it. Because I remember when I was a kid, your grandma or your mom or your auntie could send you to the store to go get a six pack of beer or something from a, you know, and that's how the neighborhood stores was. You go get a six pack for your grandma and all she had to do was send a note, you know, and the store clerk gave it to you, you know, and then once you got, you know, once you got towards teenage years, they stopped giving it to you. But then it was some, sometimes in the neighborhood, you could always find somebody around there that seen you and, you know, they'll go buy you a beer, you know, but now it's more, uh, it's not prevalent no more. And a lot of people is not doing that because now the laws, the laws has changed. Right. Like I said, when I was in high school, my freshman and sophomore year, they had cigarette machines on the on the campus. We we could smoke on campus as students, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So you can't even buy cigarettes at eighteen, or you know, back then the law for to buy cigarettes was sixteen, you know. And then the year after that, it changed to eighteen. Then a few years after that, it changed to twenty one. So as the laws have got um, more and more, it is stopping a lot of people from making it more available to the youth. That's the good thing about it is the laws is making it more and more harder for people to, you know, probably go buy out for buy alcohol for the kids, people over 21, because it's making them more accountable for it. I appreciate you sharing that story. And you, you I'm going to make you, Mustafa, I'm going to try not to, to, to lean on you too much, but you're a youth participant here. Jonathan just talked about a high school and he and I are about the same age. You're right, Jonathan. It was easy to smoke. It was easy to get access to alcohol when we were kids. Mustafa, what kind of messages are you? Did you see, and and are you seeing maybe among young people about the the that relate to the prevalence of uh, of um, the accessibility, I should say, to alcohol and and to drugs? We're talking about alcohol today, but any substances is it, is it as easy as as some of us might think it would be for young people to get access to that and make it easy to have those those conversations that Lisa was talking about and, and easy for youth to maybe take a drink before they're willing to do that, before they're ready to do that. Well, I mean, nowadays it's certainly harder, a lot harder to actually get alcohol or anything like that. Um, but some people actually find ways around. When there's a will, there's a way. Uh, someone who wants Vapes. I mean, nowadays vapes are really popular. Uh, you can't buy them online unless you have some type of proof. You're over 24, I think. Uh, but uh, again, we have like someone who's like a relative who may order one, and like, hey, can you order an extra one? I, I hmm. got it for a friend or someone who needs it or something like that. You, you come up with an excuse, and then they would order another one. And then boom, you have a vape pen, and you could take it to school, and then you could lend it to your friends and then they could try it out or try to pre-pressure them. But that, that that's the problem nowadays. Um, vape pens are a little, I'm taking it as an example here because it's more popular. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's, it, things changed, uh, except uh, right now uh, it's more of a different uh, product right now. It's less accessible. It's hard to get. It's somewhat legal. And I mean, a lot of schools are really cracking down on them. But um, I remember my high school, 
it was a year or two ago and we used to have a drill or like a fire alarm every month or like every, twice or three times a month so um it was always someone who smoked in the bathroom um <laughs> and they get caught and it was a stupid action but um they would show up in the principal's office and they have a talk with their parents so the thing is you try to change the law but they they also need to be educated why is that uh, illegal why is it just not supposed to be you're not supposed to have it what's the effects on you is it is it less dangerous than tobacco well it is uh, but um sometimes it's more addictive it has more more problems it has health problems health issues damage to your lungs your brain so on and so forth Hmm. Mustafa, before, and Dr. Carlos, we're going to pivot to you in a second as our mental health clinician. I want to get your perspective on this, but, but Mustafa, I'd like you to elaborate just a little bit on a comment you made earlier. You, you, I think you caught my attention. You're going to catch a lot of people's attention when you said you don't drink because you believe that you would become addicted fairly quickly. Can you maybe, there's somebody else is watching this that might feel the same way. Can you talk about how you, how you have that sense of that? How do you know how did you get the awareness that that was something that you didn't try? Because you're fairly young. You could be one of those young people that we're thinking and talking about who already have developed a, a, an alcohol or a substance addiction. So can you describe, I don't know if you can, how did you know right away before your brain was all the way there? Like Lisa told us, your brain's still developing. But how did you at that early stage know or sense that that wasn't a road you needed to go down? Well, I mean... Uh... I know myself pretty well. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't really have much self-control. Um, I mean, sometimes if I, uh, I usually find myself easily addicted to anything, basically. If I watch a show, I would basically bench watch the whole series within like a, a day or two. Mm. Now, I'll be watching this continuously. So I find myself getting carried away. So I don't, I don't know if I could control myself if it's something more addictive such as alcohol, uh, drugs, anything of that type. So um, I know myself, I won't be controlling myself if I cannot control myself on the lowest things, such as shows or cartoons or so on and so forth. That's the idea. I mean, I get addicted to easy things. I mean, I got snacks, um, junk food. I got addicted to them for a while, for a couple of months. And um, at some point, you get sick of it and you say, you know what? I gotta change. I gotta stop, and then the next hour or so, you'll you'll find yourself right back to it. Um, so that that's my problem. Uh, I learned to say no, and the best way for me is to say no and not try it, so I won't get addicted to it. So the best prevention is not getting into it in the first place. So that's my way. I know myself and I know my limits. That's that's the important thing. You got to know your limits and you got to learn how to say no. And maybe your friends may be offended, but who cares? It's your future, not theirs. Yeah. You're a different person. I, I really think I appreciate you sharing, Mustafa. I think that, you know, I, I wish we had one of our uh, physical health practitioners here, because what just occurred to me, Lisa, you gave us that those ranges of time when the brain is done developing. And you said for tw for girls, it's about 22, I think you said, and for boys a little older. But just like with any child, we know, you know, children walk at different ages, they talk at different ages, they develop differently. Mustafa just might be ahead of that curve because he sounds a lot like, and I've told him this before in some other uh, 
context. He it sounds like he was ahead of that male curve if he so early was able to say, I know myself, I've seen behavior. What was really wise, I think, Mustafa, is I've seen myself in other situations kind of gain what you're calling an addiction to something. And because I know I'm wired that way, I'm not going to go down the road. That's a very complex series of thoughts, I think. And Dr. Carlos, you're not, and you're a mental health professional. Why don't you jump in? Would you agree with me that he was, he's kind of ahead of the curve maybe of some other, uh, or, or your average youth? Oh, yeah. And, and once again, with stuff, I think we said it before, you know, I commend you, man, with your head soft, you know, you're very articulate, very well spoken, extremely aware with, with your situation, what's going on. As far as substance abuse with, with, um, and, and, and mental health, mental illness, I mean, it, it can, as I, as I said earlier, it can run into a lot of issues. Uh, work issues, relationship issues. It's a big cultural thing, especially with the Latino, Latinx culture. You know, typically the male, the patriarch of the family, they're the drinkers. Drink to the point where you pass out and it can cause a lot of problems, especially if you're a blackout or an angry, you know, an angry drunk, as we call it. So it, uh, when I have someone that I'm working with that's having an alcohol issue, substance abuse issue, I mean, we, we go back, at least try to go back to childhood you know, is there a pattern of, of this behavior in your family and, and, and on, on both sides, on one side? What do you, what have you done to try to stop? Do you think you need to stop? And how is it affecting your life? How is it causing severe distress? Mm. But very complicated. And it takes a big support system to get someone out of that hole, that funk that they're in with any type of substance abuse. And a lot of times uh, clients, you know, just feel they're at their wit's end, you know, and, and they, they give up. It's, you know, face facts. It's if we're in our own hole, and we've been in our own hole for a long time. It's the only thing we really know. So when we want to make change, change can be hard for a lot of us. And I think we've had this conversation before mm-hmm. that we don't know anything else. So sometimes we're just going to live in our hole because it's it's what we know. And change is scary. So it, it causes – go ahead, please. No, 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 please. Sorry. It just causes a whole bunch of issues, and we need a big support system to get out of it. And there's 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 resources available. Available. It's just scary to reach out for help. One of the limitations, guys, of this you know format, you know, we we can get five people in five different cities, maybe having this conversation. But I get into these conversations, and I just want to jump in and ask follow up questions. So I apologize if I'm stepping on you a little bit. Can we talk about before we take a look at the second video? Though we don't have a doctor or nurse with us, but I want to talk about alcohol. We're talking about alcohol use and abuse here. Is it Dr. Carlos or Lisa? I, we, I've heard some of the biology stuff, but but I want to know: Is alcohol addiction is it is it a learned behavior? I've heard both. My my father was an alcoholic, and um, I wondered. And I I got I was on the road. Honestly, I'll disclose that I I found myself dealing with a lot of stress, and I was uh, enjoying my Jack Daniels a little bit too much. And I didn't really realize it until I, I somehow had gotten a hold of it and not cut way, way back on drinking. And then my youngest daughter said to me one day, she had, she had been with me for the whole weekend. And she said, boy, dad, she said, you, I already moved here to California. She said, you seem a lot happier here in California. And I said, well, why would you say that? She said, you don't drink as much as you used to. And she was a teenager at the time. She was another one like Mustafa ahead of the curve. And I said, tell me a little more. And she said, well, Dad, you, you get up in the morning and you put Bailey's in your coffee and then you have a beer or two at lunch while you drink, while you're barbecuing. And then you sit down and eat your burger and you pour some Jack Daniels. And and I learned two things there. That was a lot of alcohol and that children watch everything we do. So as we talk about 
mentoring. I'd like to just say we can model behavior. They're picking it all up. But Dr. Carlos, from your perspective, both you and Lisa raise your hand. Maybe you, Lisa, could you go first? Is it is it a biological addiction or is it learned behavior or, or is it both? It's both. So there's five key risk factors for why someone develops severe substance use disorder. The first one is genetics. That's a big piece of it. It's not that there's an addiction gene, but there's variations that can contribute to why one person abusing alcohol will cross that line into a severe substance use disorder. So knowing these risk factors, you can look at your own situation and then maybe make different decisions. Um, The second one is the social environment, because as I was mentioning, everything that's coming at that brain and then where it's at at all these stages and interpreting what's now coming at it is influencing how that brain goes together. And that's the home environment, the community, the school, um, that whole piece is how which which areas of the brain are being connected, if you will. Childhood trauma is another one. Growing up with parental alcohol use disorder is very traumatic because it drives the brain into the stress response because they don't have that hindsight judgment cause and effect. So they're just, and not only that, it's not only the parent with the substance use disorder, it's the other parent who might not have one. So that parent is under stress, trying to make sure, getting ahead of it, you know, um, well, I'll make sure the kids do this and, and listening for the footsteps and then the kids get. And so that level of stress then can put the brain into a state of toxic stress. And what can soothe toxic stress? Substance use. But not only that, toxic stress can cause anxiety, depression, you know, migraines, stomach ailments, misdiagnosed ADHD. So then, then now you have a mental health disorder and what can those two then go together because the substance can be a, a soother for that mental health disorder. And then, so childhood trauma is one. And life today is so different than when, um, we we were young in that the, the 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 social networking and how you draw yourself entirely different than who you are and then how that's how you can be accepted um if something goes wrong along this way and you start to get bullied or teased or marginalized so publicly that is hugely traumatic for a brain and again it can't reason and so it might turn to a substance to, as the soother um, so those are reasons that people would start to drink or find alcohol particularly compelling another thing a lot of i work um every week with parents of adolescents with substance use disorder snapchat is how they're getting their drugs and their alcohol they just put in an order it disappears nobody sees it and it's on the side of the house and then they go i'm going to go walk the dog so it might not be you can walk into the store, but they're getting their drugs these and alcohol these other ways. Um, there's one more early use then is the other big contributing because of not only is the brain going through those developmental processes, but it goes through a pruning and strengthening, meaning whatever connections we're using regularly will get myelinated and become the default. But you're doing it with the with the emotions and emotional processing skills of a tween or an adolescent, and those will carry you into adulthood unless we help you back here, get back on track. So it's a developmental disease. People are not born addicts or alcoholics. It's a developmental disease that starts with the use that turns into abuse. And, you know, a lot of times people don't know that it takes the liver in an adult about one hour to metabolize the ethyl alcohol chemical in the alcoholic beverage to let it leave the system. So if your parents drinking six beers while they do that six hours to wait to get out, and that's the behavioral change. Mm-hmm. But they might be saying things to you and 
you know, this is all your fault if you would have done this or that. And, and so then the child internalizes that and, you know, um, and, and not having an awareness that it's this brain change by a chemical. Right. Right. It's amazing to me. And, you know, I, I was, I was glad that I had a second to wipe a tear from my eye because so much of what you described Lisa was my reality growing up. I, I fairly recently learned about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, yeah. and had no idea really. I uh, there was something to be said about, you know, there was the uncertainty that caused me yeah. so much stress. You didn't really know if you've got a parent who's an alcoholic, who's going to walk through the door. You don't know who's going to show up. And most days, my dad would show up sober and happy in his normal self, but because the uncertainty was there, I, I realized I was carrying all that stress along with me. Dr. Carlos Martinez, what have you got to say about all of this? You know, Lisa said it, you know, she's, it's, 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 it's both, you know, genetic, yeah. uh, genetics do play a role, but the environmental tr- triggers are what sets it off. Yeah. And a lot of times these, you know, a lot of negative stories, you know, that, that, that come across a lot of, a lot of drama, like really, really bad drama with, with people I've worked with and stuff. But in the, on the flip side though, I've also, with my work with the National Alliance on Mental Illness, my partnership with them, there's a lot of positive stories, you know, there's a lot of positive stories with, with mental illness and a lot of mental illness co-occurring disorders with substance abuse too, as well. I, I, this is one lady I talk to frequently, um, crack addict living, you know, in my area, in the LA area, a lot of interactions with the criminal justice system, a lot of interactions with just places and things that she shouldn't been, should have been doing and people she shouldn't have been around. Now she's a substance abuse counselor. She's married. She's living, you know, living her best life. And, I love her to death, you know, and, but to hear her story, I'm like, wow, how the heck did you dig yourself out of your hole? Mm. Her answer is I just made that choice. And a lot of other people just, they don't know how to make it. They don't have the support to do it. And she's like, I hit rock, literally hit rock bottom. And she's like, I needed to crawl out. She did it for herself. And speaking of great success stories, we're going to hear one before we wrap up today in just a few minutes. I've got a couple of other questions, though, before we get there, guys. So thanks for hanging in with us. This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. This project is supported by Elevate Youth California and funded through Proposition 64. We're all about reducing disparities, preventing substance abuse, and ending prolonged suffering. Be sure to subscribe to our blog and join us next time. Keep it moving, family.